0: Our scripture this morning comes from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3. We'll look at a couple different spots. Paul writes this When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words of wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Yet among the mature we do speak wisdom, though it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, who are doomed to perish. But we speak God's wisdom, secret and hidden, which God decreed before the ages for your glory. And then from chapter 3. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom... You came to believe, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose, and each will receive wages according to the labor of each. For we are God's servants working together You are God's field, God's building. May God give us instruction. And may the words of my mouth fall to my own heart and to ours as well. Pray with me. God, just that. May the preaching of your word be the word. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. The preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God. In uh, Presbyterian circles, it justifies my existence. It it basically says that the role of the preacher is really preeminent and important and probably the most important thing that happens in worship. I have trouble with this, but um, it is something that we've bought into over the centuries of being Presbyterian. It's one of those time-honored reform understandings of what is the Word of God because people were beginning to ask the question. So when the pastor stands up to speak, what are we to make of that? And in the second Helvetic confession, it says the Word of God preached is the Word of God. It has at times bolstered me In times of doubt, I often walk in to this place on Sunday mornings, believing or thinking I have nothing to say. It usually happens sometimes right after Easter, when I've been speaking and talking a lot for months, it feels like, and I feel like I don't have one more thing to bring to you all or to anybody. And so this idea at times props me back up and says, go back and preach. It has humbled me. When I think hard on this, and it doesn't take long to think hard on it, it is a humbling thought to think that what I do up here actually can be the word of God to you and to me. It humbles me, especially when I begin to think too much of my importance, because it's overwhelming. It's mostly something that I' am puzzled by, knowing that how far away it feels from the truth, how far away it feels. From what I feel like up here, we encounter something like this in the Scots Confession, where it says that one of the marks of the true and faithful church is the true preaching of the Word of God. So, what is the true preaching of the Word of God? What is preaching the Word of God? What does that mean? We know a few things. We know that it's not the possession or activity of professional Christians, we sometimes call clergy. It is not the possession of pastors and leaders of congregations. It's not ours to be doing exclusively. We know that it's not the possession of leadership like the apostles. We soon are aware when we read the book of Acts that Stephen is killed for his what? For his preaching. Preaching Jesus. His proclamation gets him in trouble. We know that one of the leaders of the early church in the book of Acts is Lydia. Lydia. So we know it's not the apostles, it's not those that have been put in charge of the church that are the people that own this. We know that it is not merely verbal. We think of the passage that is associated with St. Francis of Assisi that, you know, preach, and when you have to, you know, use words, um, be ready to preach all the time, but when you have to use words, that's not a very accurate understanding of preaching, but it is a way to think about it. And so we know that preaching's not uh, merely just a verbal process, it is intended to be the work of the church with a capital C. You realize in the New Testament, there are not many churches, there's one church. It's the Church of Jesus Christ. That's it. What we talk about and what we should talk about, the language we should adopt, and the language I try to adopt is I refer to individual gatherings of Christians as congregations. You're a congregation of the church of Jesus Christ. You're a Presbyterian congregation of the church of Jesus Christ. But you are not the church. Not alone. Not isolated. Not uh, on a hill just by yourself. This is something that we do with the church, capital C, those who are followers of Jesus throughout the world. And it's ultimately not an internal dialogue. Preaching is not something, as I've said before, that I'm doing right now. I don't know that this is preaching in a biblical sense. Preaching is to take place in the public square. It's so people who have not heard about Jesus can hear about Jesus. That's what preaching is intended for. And so it's a good thing it's not the possession of people like me who spend most of their time talking inside these walls. You spend most of your time outside these walls. It's the possession of the people of God to be the preachers. The Word of God is the witness to the person and authority of Jesus. I was thinking about it as I was driving up here this morning and thinking about the, the, we looked at it before, the Great Commission from Matthew. And Jesus begins that commission by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. And we skip over that first part pretty quickly when we remember that passage or we say it or we even preach on it. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Wow. All authority in every realm has been given to Jesus. And when we baptize people, when we preach, we share this good news of Jesus, we're sharing Jesus. That's it. On earth as it is in heaven, it's made known to us in the person of Jesus crucified and resurrected we look at Jesus it's not about four steps to successful living it's not about four steps to peace with God it's none of that nonsense that we have over the decades and centuries tagged on and latched our hitched our wagons to and somehow thinking we had to do something more than than share Jesus with others It's about inviting others to be, as Paul would say, this little Greek phrase in Christo. In Christ, Paul gives a lot of ink to that little phrase. It shows up all the time. Paul invites us to be in Christ. Be in Christ in the way you treat each other. Be in Christ in the way you think and act. Be in Christ. It's not a metaphor. It's not a nice thought. It's not just think good thoughts. I'm invited inside the life of Jesus, not merely Jesus' teachings. It's the hardest thing to get across. I I don't know that I'll be able to do that this morning. I don't know that I'll be able to help you understand this any more than declaring it. But I'm invited, you're invited, inside the life of Jesus. That whole thought of walking, uh, I I should have had this passage when I did, um, you know, walk a mile in somebody else's shoes a few weeks ago and that idea of of get inside somebody's skin well that's what the incarnation did isn't it Jesus got inside our skin and became a human being in order to do what to make us new so we can get inside Jesus' life. In a sense, we can put on Christ and be in Jesus. How does that work? I was talking to a friend of mine this week. I hadn't talked to him in some time. He and his wife had moved to Australia to work, and they'd come back just a year or two ago and uh, live up in Oregon, and live in Portland. And um, they're, they're just, they're people that used to be part of our church in Tribuco. And, and they, uh, on coming back from Australia and coming back to Portland, they decided to try something different in terms of church. They'd gone to a church for a long time, be active there when they left, and they decided they would look again. And they've gone to a church that's a church plant from another uh, large church in the Portland area. And Chuck just said this, it is the most diverse church in race and ethnicity that I've ever been in in my life. And for Portland, it might be the most diverse church Portland's ever seen. He said we're 40% black, 40% white, and 20% Asian and other groups. The pastor is an African-American, and um, the associate pastor was uh, uh, Latino until he recently left. And Chuck just said, it's been fascinating. I've got these new brothers and sisters in Christ that I get to spend time with. And he said it was remarkable. Um, that they're able to address the hard questions that are being posed to our culture today, not through political persuasion or argument or rational argument about, can you just think this and either have right thinking or wrong thinking? But he said this to me, he said, we look at race and culture through the lens of Christ we view the world in and through the very eyes of Jesus. Why? Because we are working, we are striving, we are trying to let go and simply be in Jesus. So we see things as Jesus sees them as much as possible. To be in Jesus is the point. In our day and age, when we go to share this and we share Jesus with people or we talk about Jesus, most people today, and this has been true for some time, look at us and question and would ask the question, by what authority to speak so authoritatively? Leslie Newbigin, missionary in, in India and a profound writer, says this To meet the question by what authority with the answer in the name of Jesus is obviously to inv- invite the counter question, who is Jesus? The answering of the question is the work of Christian witness through all the centuries and all the cultures until the day comes when all nations confess Jesus as Lord. By what authority? He said, my answer to this is a personal commitment that I make. I am, in Pascal's famous phrase, wagering my life on the faith that Jesus is the ultimate authority. Paul puts it this way. I did not come proclaiming the testimony of God to you with superior speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul would say it's just not about me. In fact, it has nothing of me in it. It's truly about Jesus Remember I asked my my youngest daughter, so how would you summarize Bart's understanding of Revelation? And she just texted back, Jesus Christ. (laughs) I thought she was being cheeky with me, and she wasn't. It's Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the embodiment of all of who God is. Humility is absolutely key to being able to be in Jesus because to be in Jesus means to be humble. It is the humble and firm confession that Jesus is the supreme authority or using the language of the New Testament that Jesus is Lord. But it is not merely a personal assertion Our ancestors in the faith could not have escaped persecution by the Roman Empire, or they could have escaped persecution by the Roman Empire if they had been content to be treated simply as people that had a personal faith. The Roman Empire was full of personal faith. People had personal beliefs, but it was of no threat to Rome and of no threat to Caesar. This is not a private faith, friends. This is not something that is intended to make you warm and cuddly inside. It is intended to say there is one authority, there is one power, there is one God in the world who has the authority to say the way things are, and it's Jesus. But Jesus does it in a way that is not heavy-handed. We make the confession together with those who have gone before us and those who accompany us now. Newbegin says this, my point is that if it is true that the mission of Jesus was not only to proclaim the kingdom of God, but also to embody the presence of the kingdom of God in his own person, then we can understand why the new converts switched from preaching the kingdom of God, which was Old Testament language, to now preaching Jesus. Remember in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Jesus would come along and say, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And that meant that the kingdom of God, the authority, the power of the one creator is in Jesus, embodied in Jesus. And through Jesus' death and resurrection, that now is ours. So we don't announce that the kingdom of God has come near. We announce that Jesus is near. Because we're in Christ. Jesus' mission was not only a matter of words, and neither is ours. If the New Testament spoke only of the proclamation of the kingdom, there'd be nothing to justify the adjective new. There were plenty of people that talked and talked and talked and talked and talked. There are people that just go on speaking and yapping their lips. And if that was all the gospel was, there's nothing new about that. But it's not about that. It's about living into it and in it. This life of Jesus in the world, that's us. That's what's really frightening. What is new is the embodiment of Jesus in and through his followers. Demonstrators of the very character of Jesus. That's preaching the word of God. And it is the word of God. What does it look like? John writes a letter and says um, that God is love. Love. And we read that throughout the New Testament. That God is love. And the the ultimate expression of God's love is who? It's Jesus. It's the answer to every children's message, by the way. Jesus. If the kid doesn't know what the answer is, just shout out Jesus. To be in Christ with in all of our dealings with each other, with our neighbor with the world, with each other in the church and with those outside the faith is to be in the love of Jesus. Paul's told us what that looks like. Let me read it to you. If I speak in the tongues of humans and of angels but do not have love I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I'm really smart, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing if I give away all of my possessions and if I hand over my body to be sacrificed so that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Okay, think about it for a moment. Love is patient. How patient are we? The term would be long-suffering. Love is kind. What does kindness really mean and look like? I really look in kindness. I extend good things to those around me. Not painful things. Not hurtful things. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. How are we doing so far? I started a church in Saddleback Valley, Rancho Santa Margarita. And a few years before we started our church, Saddleback Church started. On my best days, I was not envious Ah, my worst days, I just wish they'd all go away. Love is not envious or jealous or boastful or arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way. Oh man, how many missteps because we've insisted on our own way as being the way rather than Jesus. It is not irritable. My family would agree with that. It keeps no record of wrongs. How many of you have a ledger of those who've wounded you? but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it too will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part, But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I gave up my childish ways. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know only in part, but then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known faith hope and love abide these three but the greatest of these is love it's the open secret friends of the good news of Jesus Christ that Jesus is available to every nation every people group, every race, every human being, now and always, how will they learn unless we preach? Not just with our words, but by being in Christ in our lives. Pray with me. God, it is so much more than we bargained for. We might have come to faith seeking solace or direction. We might have come to faith to escape difficulty. We might have come to faith in you because We had no other place to turn. We might have come to faith just because it seemed so reasonable. We might have come to faith to get in the good graces of that man or woman that we had our eyes on. It's so much more than we thought. Dwell in us fully, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.